Well, good morning, everybody. You've got a handout there. One side says uh, salvation scriptures. So today marks my uh, eighth anniversary with you guys as your pastor. So we're finishing up eight years, and thank you. And uh, thank you. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And uh, starting the ninth year of ministry with you, and I thought this is a, a great day for me to share salvation, what it means to be saved, uh, what the Bible says it means to be saved, not what you've heard, not what others have told you, not what religion has passed down, but what does the Bible actually say about what it means to be born again, right? Because we get confused a lot on what it means. The world will tell you you have to say the right words, the exact <laughs> prayer, the world, world will tell you you have to do things to be saved. You know, there's only two religions in the world. In the whole world, you take all the religions in the world, you can put them in, in, in two buckets, right? One bucket is you can't do anything to earn your salvation. The other bucket is you have to earn your salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but, but that trying to earn your salvation, that's, uh, that's work, Right? Because no matter what denomination you go to or religion you go to, the goalpost is always changing, right? The end line is always changing. Okay, you got to do this. You got to do, oh, come over to ours. You got to do this. You got to do that to be saved. I don't want to live like that, do you? Aren't you tired of trying to measure up, right? So God says, pick this bucket, the tree of life, right? And tree of life is, uh, if you'll trust in me, <coughs> I'll take care of everything else, right? Is what the scripture says. So we're going to talk about what it means to be saved this morning. And if you could, uh, there you go. That's that's good. You're doing a good job back there, Lee. We're gonna we're gonna double your salary, buddy. Okay. So the first scripture is Romans chapter one, verse sixteen. Uh, Paul starts out by saying, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes." Who believes? Not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who puts something in the offering plate, though, by the way, you'll all have to put something in the offering plate before we let you out today. Just <laughs> letting you know. So go ahead and get something ready, okay? I'm, I'm teasing. We, we've got first-time guests here. I shouldn't have said that. They're starting to worry back there. Like but let's put in context, before we talk about salvation, let's put in context what Paul is talking about in chapter 1 here. Uh, I've got my Bible open to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and following. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith, not works, lest any man should boast. Now, Look at the context, Paul. Paul's going to list off a bunch of sins here. He's saying, look at everything that's going on in the world. In his world, you're going to see it's the same thing going on in our world. He said, look at all this. This is why Jesus came and died for all these sins. Now, let's read it. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, 
have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, they exchanged the opportunity to have a relationship with God and instead chose to have a relationship with an idol, a piece of wood. Does that make sense? You got the God who created the piece of wood, the tree. And then you've got somebody who takes the tree and makes an idol out of it, a little statue of some kind. And they worship the statue instead of worshiping the God who made the wood. And that's what Paul's saying here. He said, are you serious? Seriously, you're going to worship a piece of wood instead of God. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts. Now, God didn't make them have sinful desires in the heart. Catch this. He gave them over. He gave them over. And what that means is, God says, okay, if you're going to keep doing that, I'll just let you do it until you figure out it's not the right thing to do. So, when I was about five years old, I was fascinated by wall outlets. <laughs> Have you ever in your life been fascinated by wall outlets? Anybody but me. Okay. That, that proves I'm a little off, and you can tell that's, that's why I'm like the, the way that I am. And so, what I like to do is to take the butter knife, and stick it in the wall outlet. Do you know you can stick it in one side and it's fine? But when you stick it in the other side, it's not fine. <laughs> but it was fun, momentarily. And when you feel yourself hit the other wall, bam! And mom comes running in, what have you done? I just stuck the butter knife in the socket. Don't do that again. But I want to. Don't do that again. She would wander off. I would take that butter knife and stick it right back in there, Gary. Bam! It made a great noise. Bam! Right? Mom finally said, fine, stick it in there. All you want to. I don't care. I've been trying to tell you not to do that, but I turn my back and you do it. She gave me over. said, fine. If you want to stick it in the socket, go ahead and stick it in the socket. I finally realized I don't want to do that anymore, so I don't do that anymore. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Although I still love playing with electricity. I like wiring things and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, this, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a great story at this point. <laughs> so I was in high school, right, in <clears throat> Lanier High School in Macon, Georgia. And that was back in the day when you sat in the big old metal desk with a big, you know, wooden top on it and everything. And we didn't have air conditioning. You had fans, and the fans were mounted on the walls, and there were those, you know, rotating fans back and forth, right? And it was an all-boys school. I went to an all-boys school that before they changed things. And the guy behind me was crazy. I mean, he was certifiably insane, right? And we had, we had desk guys sitting, and every now and then he'd just grab my hair and just yank it back. I used to have long hair. You see what happened. <clears throat> he would just grab my hair and pull it back, and it turned loose. This was random. Well, one day he was having one of those spells, and he, he had a pocket knife. He went and unplugged the fan, and he took the pocket knife, and he cut. That's back when you take a knife to school, right? And he cut the electric wire. And he went back to his desk, right, and sat down in it. And uh, actually sat in the desk behind me, and some other guy sat in front of him. And he, he frayed the ends of, of the rubber off and twisted the wire together, right? So it made a loop. And he stuck it in the guy's desk in front of him. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny. As a, as a guy, it's funny. 
and he stuck it in the wall. And that desk blew up. It went, bam! <laughs> that guy went flying out of the desk over to the next aisle. <laughs> and, and the guy that did it, the crazy guy, just put his head down like he was asleep. <laughs> Matthew, always keep your eye on the guy behind you, okay? Because he may be wiring your, your, your desk up or something. Anyway, electricity, it will hurt you. That is hilarious. I won't tell you the rest of the story. Anyway, <laughs> it, it gets worse after that. So God says, okay, if you want to keep sinning, fine. Just go ahead. That's what it means. He gave them over, right? It doesn't mean he calls it. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Isaiah says, truth has stumbled in the street and had... And worship and serve created things rather than the creator, who forever praised. Amen. Because of all this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations with unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They disobey their parents. They disobey their parents. They disobey their parents. I think if you say it enough times, a kid will get it, right? Right, parents? It doesn't work that way? Man. It doesn't. See, kids, you're right here in the Bible, right? So don't disobey your parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. How? You therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for at what point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. All right, so bottom line is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? So Paul's listed all, all these sins. Same thing happening in his day is happening in our day. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? I want to tell you something. It's hard for someone to go to hell because of God's kindness. God's kindness is always chasing us and is always going in front of us. God's kindness is always coming behind us and always going in front of us, trying to convince us how much he loves us. The person that you know, the most lost person you know, God is still after them. And will be until the day they die. He will pursue them. He will pursue them and pursue them and pursue. He's pursuing them right now. That person you think is not going to make it, God's pursuing them because God thinks he's going to make it. I got, I got hope. He's going to make it. He's going to make it. It's God's kindness. I call this God's two by four. <clears throat> You've heard me say that before. 
Romans 2, 4. We think about a two-by-four. Oh, God hit me with a two-by-four. No, he doesn't. If God hit you with a two-by-four, it would knock you out. You would be dead. Why would he do that? If God does hit you with a two-by-four, you're dead. Okay? You're there. You're with him. God is always chasing us with his kindness. As a matter of fact, it says in 2 Peter, God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that some should come to repentance. So that some should come to repentance. Who? Who? Oh, come on, you do better than that. All, so that all should come to repentance. Thank you. Also says that in Ezekiel chapter 18, if you want to look that up. Third point, Romans chapter 3. Do you notice how each chapter has a number beside it that corresponds with the chapter in the, in the book? You see how I did that? Isn't that clever? Don't you think I'm really smart for doing that? <laughs> Actually, God did all that. I just copied it. Thank you, Tanya. All right, chapter 3, it says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely, you don't have to buy it, by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Once again, salvation is by believing. Romans chapter 4, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man, woman, child, teenager, whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It says in Psalm 103, he has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Long, long way, right? All right. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never, never count against him. Never. Can you say never? Good job. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Justified. The word justified is an accounting term. Okay? Back in the day, it was an accounting term. It's still an accounting term today. So you take out your checkbook, right? And you look and you've got all these bills to pay. And you start writing checks, right? And you pay the bills. Well, your bill was that you have sin in your life. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've got sin in your life. And Jesus took out his checkbook and wrote in his blood, paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. You see, Jesus, when he hung on the cross, took all the venom of this world. Sin. Sorrow, sickness, suffering, you name it. The most horrible things that you read about in the news. He took all of that into himself when he hung on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus took it all. He didn't take some of it. He didn't take part of it. He didn't pick and choose what he would die for. He died for all the sins of the world. And that's the righteousness that we get to live in. That is the right relationship that we get to live in. You're now justified. Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that word death doesn't mean physical death. Right? Everybody's going to die. There's a 100% chance that you will die. Right? 
100% chance, has been for 6,000 years. 100% chance you're going to die. So it's not referring to physical death. It's referring to being separated from God. The wages of sin, the, the payment you receive because of your sin is to be separated from God for all eternity. That is separated from your creator for all eternity. That's what the wages of sin does. And so we're looking at it. We've got this big pile of sins that we read about in chapter 1 right here. And we're saying, oh, I've got these sins in my life and other sins that weren't listed here that Paul didn't list. They're in my life. What am I going to do? And Jesus says, I'll justify that. I'll pay that in full. You will not be separated from God from now on. And so when you give your life to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, when you say Jesus is Lord, however you say it, you're saved for all eternity. And the Bible says the wages of sin, which were death before, have been paid in full. And you have eternal life with God from this point on. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. And who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up. But how many of you struggle with sin in your life? <laughs> well, the hands went up quickly, right? You love Jesus but you still struggle with sin, right? Welcome to the human race. Welcome to, this is Paul saying this. This is, this is Paul, the greatest missionary ever. Paul. Turned on for Jesus, fired up for God, beaten and tortured and everything for the sake of Christ, shipwrecked, I mean, stoned to death and came back to life and all that stuff that happened to him. And yet he writes in Romans here, Man, I still struggle with sin. Then when Paul dies, is he going to hell? No. Struggling with sin does not define who you are, and it doesn't determine your destiny. It just means you're human, and you're working through salvation. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what that means is we're going to bump into sin in this life. And are we to continue in that sin? Paul goes on and says in chapter 6, God forbid we continue to sin. That's not the point he's saying. But when you bump into it, just know that Jesus has already died for that sin. He died for yesterday's sin, today's sin, and tomorrow's sin. Now, he goes on to say, be holy as I am holy. Try not to sin. Do, you, do your best not to sin. Because it's not good for you. Not that God's going to send a lightning bolt down or send you cancer or diabetes because you're sinning. That's not the kind of God he is. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He just knows that every time we sin, we open the door for more sin or more trouble in our life. That's what God knows about sin. So I want to say something about this for just a moment. Let me ask you a question first. Can you be a Christian and still struggle with gossip? Okay. Can you be a Christian 
and still struggle with being greedy? Can you be a Christian and still struggle with being a glutton? I know I went to meddling on that one, but it means eating more than you should eat. That's what, that's what it means. It's a great question, Matthew. Great. Thanks for asking. Can a person be gay and still be a Christian? Are you sure? Why? Thank you. All sin are sin in God's eyes. When we start to categorize them and say one is worse than the other, then we've gone back to the Catholic Church, which has a hierarchy of sins. There's only one sin that's unforgivable, that's unpardonable. And none of you have crossed that line because you're here. The unpardonable sin is saying no to the Holy Spirit so many times that the Holy Spirit finally says, I give up. That's the unpardonable sin is against the Holy Spirit. All these other sins that I read and listed, right? Those aren't the unpardonable sin. Now, should a Christian who trusts in Jesus Christ and begins reading the word of God and sitting under good teaching stay in any of these sins? No. No, we should quit being a gossip. We should quit being greedy. We should quit being a glutton. And that's hard for Baptists. Right? Go to a Baptist preacher's conference sometime and you'll see. And we should quit being gay. Or any of the sin that we can list in the Bible. So can a Christian live in sin? Yes. Should they? No. Will Christians struggle with sin? Yes. Should we condemn them? Absolutely. Not. We should not condemn them because what does Paul say? He says, for the very thing you're condemning people, you're doing yourself. That's what it says right there in the scripture. Paul said, don't do that. We should come along beside people who are struggling with sin and say, can I help you in some way? Can, can we talk? Let's go out to eat. Can I share some scripture with you? Ask the Holy Spirit how to minister in someone's life that you see is stumbling with a sin. Paul goes on to say, those of you who are strong, help the weak. If you find your brother in sin, go help him. Be careful lest you also be tempted with that same sin. But go, but go help him. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything that's going on in your mind right now that's telling you that you're not saved, nor anything that's causing you problems with sin in your life, not anything that somebody else has said in some religious setting to make you feel inferior about yourself will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, it, it doesn't matter how you feel about your salvation. It doesn't matter how somebody else feels about your salvation. It can't separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes, John 3, 18 says, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 9, 16. It says, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. 
Aren't you glad your salvation depends on God's mercy, not your effort? So how have you done working on it? Right? How has it worked out for you trying to figure it out your own self? Stop trying to figure it out your own self. Just trust him. Let, let him figure out your salvation for you. Let him take care of that. Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you. So there's two things here. Two things that make salvation. One, do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Then say Jesus is Lord. That's salvation. You know, we've been raised, and there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to say here, but we've been raised, you've got to say the sinner's prayer. And depending on which little pamphlet you pick up, the, the prayer can go on for two sentences or two days. Right? You've seen those little pamphlets, right? And you pray this prayer, and you, if you pray this prayer, you'll be saved. And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. Nothing wrong with the pamphlets. Praise God we got those out there. But it can lead to a misunderstanding of, of the salvation experience, of, of our part in it. When the scripture, Paul plainly says, do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? I do. Then say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's salvation. It's the beginning of salvation, but it's salvation. There's a whole lot more to learn and understand and contemplate. But it's that simple. Do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? Do you? Yeah. Can you say Jesus is Lord? Can you say it like you mean it? Jesus is Lord. Yeah. That's salvation. That's it. That's it. Don't make it so complicated for yourself. And don't make it so complicated for someone else. You've you got a piece of paper in your hand now. If you're talking to someone who needs Jesus, you can say, well, my preacher said there's just two things right here, and this is what the Bible says. There's two things right here. Do you believe Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, yeah. Can you say Jesus is Lord? Confess with your mouth. Yeah, I can say Jesus is Lord. That's the beginning. We put, we put all the weight on living it out. Well, that's God's part of it. That's, that's God's part of the equation. Our part is just simply saying, I do believe. I do believe. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace. Oh, wow. It is by grace. <laughs> oh, wow. For it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works so that nobody can boast. Because I'm here to tell you, I can boast, I can boast on you folks. I've been, to, I've been to Bible school and seminary and twice. Three times. I've, I've been to Bible school 13 years. Anybody, anybody up that? Come on. Who's got that? Huh? Anybody? Start my ninth year. Oh, that's sweet. I caught that. Thank you. I'm honored. I could brag on that. God says, it's by grace you're saved. 
because we could all go down the street and find somebody that's, that we think's in better shape than us or that knows more about the Bible than us, right? Been to church more than us. Gave more money than us to the church. We can, we can always find somebody that's more than us. God says, I don't play that game. I, I don't play that game. I don't count that way. It's my gift to you. John 3.16. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his own son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 1.12 says, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.15 says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. There's no working out here. This, this, there's no special words. It's just believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. The missionary team is talking, and they replied, what will we do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. In other words, everybody in your household that believes in Jesus, they'll be saved. Do you believe in Jesus, your whole household? Romans 10, 17. It says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, that word for word, there's two words in the New Testament for the word word. One word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. And we understand that as the written word. Okay? <clears throat> we, under, we understand that to be the written word that we hold in our hand, right? Or in your, your electronic device nowadays. That's the logos. But the other word for word is rima, R-H-E-M-A. It's a Greek word, rima, which can be interpreted as the cell phone voice of God, right? That still small voice that speaks to us, that, that comes to us. Now, I want you to catch this scripture. This is really important. It says, when you're hearing the word of God, which is what you're hearing this morning, I'm preaching the word of God. I'm, I'm reading the logos of God. I'm reading the scriptures. It's, <clears throat> it's right here for us to read. I'm reading it. While I'm reading this, the rhema word of God, God's still small voice is speaking to your heart right now. Inviting you to be saved. Inviting you to be born again. Inviting you to say Jesus is Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's why it's so important to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Every time you share the gospel, Jesus comes right along beside it and says, that's true. That's true. That's true. Lost person, if you're here this morning and without Jesus Christ and he's reading it, the Holy Spirit's telling you, that man's telling you the truth. You need to listen to him. He tells great jokes. You need to laugh at him. But he's telling you the truth. You need to listen to him. Are you listening? Are you listening? The still small voice of God is speaking. Our salvation is not based on our feelings. It's not based on how you feel today or at the end of your life. I've seen a lot of Christians going to be with Jesus. Done a lot of funerals. And everybody goes out differently. Some people go out with joy in their heart. Some people go out with a struggle. 
And some people go out with the struggle because maybe their body is racked with dementia, Alzheimer's, cancer, other horrible things going on in their body, and their mind is not in the right place it's supposed to be. So never judge a person's salvation by how they go out, right? Because people go out in sometimes horrible ways. Some people go out in wonderful ways. I've seen saints at their deathbed raise their hands up and start calling people's names who've gone on before them years before. Smiling and saying, oh, there you are, I've been waiting to see you kind of thing. It's just one of those great family reunion scenes. And that's truly what it is on the other side. It's a family reunion. God sends the people closest to you to come greet you so that you won't be so startled walking into heaven's palace. Right? Because he knows you're going to be astonished when you get there and he, you're going to need somebody to prop you up a little bit, right? It's just going to be absolutely f- amazing. So he sends, he sends the closest people to you that are already there. And they're like, man, that didn't, that didn't take long for you to get here. For them, you know, for us it'll be years, right? But for them it's just seconds. And, and he welcomes us in. And I've seen those scenes before. I've seen the scenes when it didn't go that way. And I know the person was a believer. But they were their mind was not there anymore. And they said things that were odd, strange. So we don't judge our salvation by our feelings. We don't judge our salvation by how, by how we feel when we're about to die. We don't judge it at all. We just simply trust in Jesus. He takes care of the rest of it. So don't trust your feelings with salvation. Trust Jesus. Don't trust what your life looks like at the end. Trust Jesus. Everyone who comes to Christ, everyone comes to Christ in their own unique way. And so the the third point I'm making here is don't put your template of how you came to Jesus over everybody else's life and expect them to come to Jesus the same way you did. For me, it was December 13th. I was sitting in a church pew. My folks and I didn't go to church very much. Okay, we went to Christmas and, and Easter, right? We were, we were Christers, right? Christmas and Easter, right? And we were also, at this time, going to a private Christian school uh, that had been started. And if you went to church, you got a discount. And so my mom was a genius, right, with, with money. There were three children all going to the school, so we needed a big discount. And so you had to go once a month to get the discount. You understand? So mom being the prudent woman that she was, amazing. We were there that Sunday, December 13th. And I was sitting in the pew, and the pastor got up and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he talked about heaven, and he talked about hell. And he said, would you like to trust in Jesus as your Savior today? Would you like to be saved today? And while he was preaching, man, something started talking to me like it never talked to me before. And I'm like, what is the deal? What is the deal? I don't understand this. I was getting all edgy. We stood up. We sang the song, just as I am. And I just took off down the aisle. My mom's going, what's wrong, with, what's wrong with the boy? He's walking down the aisle. Jim, are you okay? I walked down the aisle. The preacher said, come down the aisle and talk to me. That's why I walked down the aisle and talked to him. And I said, I don't know why I'm here, but something's all over me. i got to do something here. It's something speaking to me. I didn't know how to say it. And he told me how to invite Jesus into my heart. And I did. And I was, I was born again. That might not be your experience, but that's my experience. So don't, 
Don't judge your experience or my experience by your experience or my experience, right? Everybody comes to Jesus in a different way. And that is just like God. We're all unique. I mean, I know I'm better looking than Scott. Everybody knows that. I get that. And, and I'm sorry, but, but I love the drummer. You know I got to love the drummer here. Scott's going to come to Jesus differently than me. God made us all unique. Why would, he, why would he come to us the same way when we're all different? Some of you have type A personalities, right? right? I see those elbows, right? And man, for you, it's boom, boom, boom. You know, some of you have, I don't know, type D personalities. You're, you're, like, you're like the wallflower, you know. You're very quiet and shy. And listen, God's not going to come hit you with a baseball bat, right? Like we talked about. He's, he doesn't do that. He's going to find the best approach to reach you. Right? It's God's kindness that goes before us and God's kindness that comes after us, leading us towards repentance and trusting Him. So what's your story this morning? What's your story this morning? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? And is He the Lord of your life? He wants to be this morning. If you've never said yes to Jesus, this is a great morning to do so. Just simply say, Jesus, I believe that God raised you from the dead and Jesus is Lord. And there's your sign. Right on cue. Will you trust in him this morning? Will you say yes to Jesus this morning? I hope you do. And if you do, after the service is over with, you come up and talk to me and we'll talk further about that. I would love to. We'll sit down right here. And have a chat about what it means to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I would love to do that. But for the next minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us because of all the sins in our lives. And all he says, all he asks of us to begin the relationship with him is, do you believe I rose from the dead? And it's Jesus, Lord. Will you trust in him? And as you take the Lord's Supper this morning, and you're all invited to take the Lord's Supper, or not, that's up to you. That's between you and God. Totally between you and God. Will you trust in Jesus this morning? And if you've already trusted in him, will you give him thanks as you share the elements of the Lord's Supper? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these scriptures. I thank you, Father, that, that uh, you have given us so many scriptures in the Bible to help us understand salvation. I give you thanks for that. And Father, bless this time as we share the Lord's Supper together. May it be a time that brings honor and glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.